to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, an old friend of ours is back. That's right. Win, we play, win, and that's what happened. A Dolphins opening day victory, 20-7 to over division rival New England to kick off this season. We'll give you the takeaways on this episode. We'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel on his first career victory here at Hard Rock Stadium with the Miami Dolphins. And we'll play the opening segment from the podcast, the postgame show rather, with me, Seth, and OJ. Plenty to get to here on this week one recap edition from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. So a Dolphins opening day victory, and we'll start here as we do every single Sunday night slash Monday morning, depending on where you're listening to us, with some stats. And then we'll also hear from Coach on being asked how he felt about starting off his career in the win column. First, the numbers from this game largely even despite the fact that I thought the game kind of tilted towards Miami really after that Brandon Jones strip sack Melvin Ingram touchdown here what a Dolphins debut for Melvin Ingram back in his home home state of Florida Uh, but the Dolphins kind of had the advantage tilted their way but the numbers didn't really dictate it that way 18 first downs to 17 the Dolphins win that battle six of 14 on third downs were Miami the Patriots were four of nine Dolphins did have a very, very crucial fourth down conversion. The Patriots 0 for 1 on their lone attempt. Miami outgained New England 307 to 271. That was 242 to 193 through the air. And then on the ground, New England had 78. Miami had 65. We talked about the play count. Miami ran five more plays. Then the New Patriots, 59 to 54. And then you had the three turnovers for the Patriots, none for the Dolphins. Miami took three sacks, had two of their own. Penalties, Miami had four for 20. New England, three for 15. And the Dolphins had the better T.O.P. time of possession, 32-30 to 27-20. Let's go ahead and hear from Coach Mike McDaniel, who got a Gatorade bath from who else besides Christian Wilkins and the boys after the game, despite the fact he didn't want it. But here he is talking about why he didn't want it. It's about the team, not one individual. Well, it was a very, very cool moment um, against um, my wishes. They uh, just... They just showered me in Gatorade and made it about me, which I know for a fact it's not. Um, but they, uh, they, you know, the team celebrating together and just being happy um, for the direction that we're going in. Um, that's why you get into team sports. Um, I can also tell uh, it, it was it was a good, a good excitement and celebration because it wasn't like a satisfied celebration. They were happy that we got it done. Um, I think a lot of guys um, feel like we, the Miami Dolphins fan base and the organization deserve to win. Um, But there was a lot of frustration, um, including me, uh, on things that, you know, in the game that we we really left out there. So um, that that was pretty cool. Um, When the Clock hit zero. Um, you know, I, I only have a couple reps, so I was most concerned with 
um, finding Coach Belichick and, um, you know, expeditiously going over there to, to um, shake his hand and then um, trying to figure out uh, really what I want to say to the guys. Um, it, it's more of, okay, what's the next step in the, in the job um, than anything else? It's, uh, you know, maybe um, with, with friends and family, I'll take, you know, 15 minutes to appreciate it, but um, that's not why I'm here is to bask or um, cheer. I'm, I'm here to um, help lead a, a team of people. Um, and we got, you know, game two next week on the road against um, a, a play against a team that's very hard to play um, at. So that'll, that'll be our concern. Um, other than that, um, it's a, I'm very happy for the team overall uh, because they've put in the work. Um, it wasn't um, – it's really since April, and even before that, the whole organization has really worked um, in one direction, and, and you'd like to see that get rewarded. So how about our five takeaways from this Dolphins 20-7 to victory here on opening day over the Patriots? My number one takeaway is the guy that I gave a game ball to on the postgame show. It's Dolphins defensive coordinator Josh Boyer. I mean, you talk about devising splash plays by putting guys in situations to get free runs on the quarterback or to hover back in center field and make a play on a pass on a third and long situation. We saw Javon Holland nearly had a chance for his second interception of the day, but Duke Riley played too good on that play for Javon to get his second pick because he runs the number three in the formation, your closest receiver into the formation to either particular side of the field. He runs him down the seam 25, 30 yards, and the ball hits Duke in the back because he is in that good a position on the coverage. And Javon comes over, and you can kind of see he was frustrated after the fact because he thought he had a chance to cross and you know undercut that route and make a play for his second pick of the season, second pick here on opening day. But that's just what Josh Boyer had done all day long. I mean, 271 yards, you allow seven points, you get three takeaways, two sacks, less than 50% on third down, and and 40% when you include fourth down, uh, four for 10 for the Patriots. He just drew it up in ways that I thought confused the Patriots' protection alignment, confused their quarterback, you know, outdueled the play calling on the other side. I thought Josh Boyer was fantastic in this game, and there was two plays that I thought really indicated just his ability to show things and mix it up and disguise and just week one already picking up where he left off uh, with a great performance last year, calling that defense for the Miami Dolphins. Josh Boyer and the way this defense plays, the style that they play with the talent they have, man, it's a it's really, really a nice marriage. And the two plays I'm talking about, the Brandon Jones strip sack, you had a stunt from Melvin Ingram where he looped around the rush of Zach Sealer. And those are two very, very powerful, impactful guys. And that's why I was so pumped up about the Melvin Ingram acquisition this offseason because of the way he can play in those and occupy blockers, but also the lateral agility to, hey, maybe he's going to pick this play. Maybe the next play is going to work around the loop and stunt and get after the quarterback. And on this particular play, he looped around Zach Sealer, who is just one of the best, to me, one of the best defensive tackles in the league. And I think underrated doesn't even begin to describe his game. But he loops around Zach Sealer, who commands attention from the Patriots, rightfully so. And then you see the left tackle of the Patriots' eyes and feet kind of get sucked inside as he squeezes. Because when you slant inside the offensive line, you want to squeeze that thing because, again, A and B gap pressure, you got to take care of the interior first. And what that does is frees up a C gap run, or I should say a weak side off the edge run, 
from Brandon Jones to pair with good coverage across the rest of the field. And I'll be able to give you more breakdowns on that on the All-22 podcast. But you create that free run, and Brandon Jones, this is what he does. He led all safeties last year in QB sacks. Uh, Him and Javon Holland, number one, number two in QB pressures among all safeties. And he does it again, and he shows up in a big-time spot. He gets the football out again, by the way, which is something he did last year against the Jets and Joe Flacco in that game at the Meadowlands. And then, later in the game, there's a third and long, and Boyer shows the same pressure, and they back out, and they play eight-man coverage and a three-man pass rush. And I thought there was multiple elements to this that were just so so evident of how well-coached this Dolphins defense and this Dolphins football team is, is that you had a situation where the Patriots were in six-man pass pro against a three-man rush, which means windows is going to be tight downfield. You're not going to have a lot of chances to throw the ball into a look like that. But at the same time, your pass rush has a difficult time to get after the quarterback because they have two guys for every one you can send as a rusher. But what I like about this Dolphins defense is they don't run by the quarterback, fly by, and wind up in the worst spot on the football field behind the quarterback. And Emmanuel Ogba, who was terrific today, by the way, got a sack, was involved in the running game, uh, you know, always involved in terms of uh, impacting the passing lanes for the quarterback. He comes off of his blocker, you know, redirects his rush move, and comes back over the top and cuts down Mac Jones, I almost said Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, who tries to scramble and pick up yards after he realizes there's nothing for me here in coverage because they have eight against our, let's see, six plus one, our four in the route. And so Ogba keeps his eyes on the quarterback and peels back and makes that play before he can get by that first line of defenders, which even, you know, doesn't matter how fast the quarterback is, a lot of times if they get past that first line, you could become in some trouble. So the call there to show something that they were expecting a pressure look get the ball out hot you drop coverage forces the quarterback to hold the ball then the discipline of your d line to have good eyes and stay in shape there or stay in position to be in good shape to make a play on the quarterback so i thought josh boyer that i mean the results speak for themselves in terms of what he was able to bring uh with this defensive performance today but just the way he was mixing coverages and mixing rushes and, and disguising, man, it was all so very good. The way they clamped down in the red zone. I mean, you had one drive that was extended by penalty, and then we lose a man in coverage to the flat for the touchdown. But what a game he called, man. Pressure, pressure, pressure all around. And let's go ahead and hear from Coach McDaniel on something that I thought was really cool to hear him talk about with addressing the team and saying, you know, this is the defense's team until proven otherwise. You're going to hear Coach McDaniel talk about that right here because this defense, once again, they played lights out. Yeah, no, this is um, – I told the team um, last night, um, you know, I thought it was important that uh, you guys were introduced to uh, the offensive players and the offense. Um, but this is still the defense's team until proven otherwise. And that – and they – they valued that. That was important to them when they heard that, uh, and they wanted to prove me right, and they sure did. You know, there's, there's a, you know, defense is funny where you can, you, you, you have so many guys that are competitive and have high standards, and then you're giving up some yards and you're you're driving down the field. Well, um, it's a classic example of uh, the other team has to score, so don't panic, and then um, wait for your opportunity and seize it. So it was a that was a huge momentum turner, um, the pick with a with X PBU, um, and then Javon coming and 
and making a play on that that you know who knows what the game looks like without that one so that, that those are a ton of examples that we'll be able to learn from um, but I thought it was good that the uh, you know the defense deserved um, to get some uh, they've they put in the work they they've you know, it is the stage now where they've been able to play together for a while, um, and so they they that means a lot to them. They they want to, um, you know, they have a standard that they want to employ that everybody knows when a Miami Dolphins game occurs that um, you're going to have to deal with this defense. And you know, we got um, we're plus three in the turnover margin, which um, that, that's probably the biggest indicator that you'll ever have. Um, I think that's factual, actually. Uh, you know, 87 percent or something. Um, anyway, you guys can check that and and uh, uh, but that that was the real story of the game was being able to protect the ball and um, the end the game plus three. Let's go ahead and take our first break right here. We'll come back and get to the other four takeaways you've heard one so far. Josh Boyer absolutely in his bag. We'll do that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host Travis Wingfield. Brought to you by AutoNation. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Takeaway number two, as the Dolphins are victorious 20-7 to on opening day over their rival New England Patriots. The first takeaway, Josh Boyer absolutely dialing up a great game plan here against the Patriots offense. Takeaway number two comes from this play that Coach is going to talk about right now, the decision to go for it on fourth and eight and score not just a first down, but score a touchdown from 42 yards Longest touchdown of Jalen Waddle's career. Let's go ahead and hear from Mike McDaniel on the decision to go for it on fourth and eight in plus territory. Um, uh, it was a cool moment for really our whole um, team, but you know the mechanics of uh, the mechanics of working with the game management guys um, and talking through the different scenarios. We were just at the fringe of um, you know Jason's. Um, uh, range and yeah, you can you can push the envelope, but you know the flip side is you're a first uh, you miss it and you're a first down away from giving up points. So then it then it became um, all right. It does kind of make sense to, to to go ahead and go for it. Have a couple thoughts in mind, um, and then uh, there you know in, in communication with the offensive staff, um, there there was uh, I think it was John Embry. 
um, you know, kind of tipped the scales because I had a couple up. Um, but then, then from that point on, it's all players. You know, so we, we decided to do it. Um, had, had a couple thoughts in mind. You know, you try to prepare yourself so it's not the first time you've thought about that scenario. Um, and that, that does come up in end of half. So I had a couple thoughts. And, but then once the, uh, the play started, I think um, uh, Cedric motioned down and uh, they, uh, we had anticipated a certain type of leverage in the man-to-man coverage. Um, and we got it, then we got the protection, and then Tua ripped a strike. Part of the reason that um, you know you, you hear so much praise from Tyreek and Waddle about Tua is because um, he throws that uh, catchable ball that um, you can get yards after catch. And then he Waddle, uh, you know that's something that we've emphasized a ton. Um, and you want to talk about deliberate practice um, coming to life in the biggest moment. Um, is you know catching that in break and then having a mindset, um, not be not being surprised that he's catching it. No, he was he only scores because he immediately transitioned um, to take it to the house. So it was uh, it was glad to have I was glad to have him back. I told you guys I was very confident he'd be back, um, but uh, that that was a, a cool moment for all of us, and um, you know just w- wish we could have continued that momentum in the second half but beggars can't be true choosers and from my perspective it just speaks to what mcdaniel has done in terms of we always hear the phrase a team takes on the personality of their coach and what is coach if not incredibly smart intelligent very optimistic and supportive in those ways in his intelligence and in his optimism and I think you see that reflect in the football team. Like I was, you know, I always get nervous for games, which is so funny because I'm not, I've, I haven't sh- buckled chin straps since the eighth grade and I get nervous still for some reason. I think it's just because I want to see this team win so bad. But there was a video we put out on our social, the, the team's account at Miami Dolphins of Jalen and Javon like dancing in the, in the tunnel before the game. And that kind of helped ease the nerves for me a little bit. And it just kind of showed you that these guys and Coach McDaniel saying after the fact that he had never felt more calm or, you know, kind of in control of his environment uh, as far as being on a sideline. And you kind of feel that reverberate throughout the rest of the team. And then the confidence they play with because of the aggressiveness, not just to say, hey, this is a situation where it's good for us to go for it, maybe because of this, this, and this. And I'll talk about that here in one second. But the expectation to go execute, I mean, they're going to go out on their own terms and they're going to be aggressive with it, which seems to be kind of the the model of some of the more successful teams and offenses in the last couple of years. And that's kind of what coach McDaniel has the thought for here. It looks like is because they line up to go for it. And, you know, Seth and I up in the press box, my whole thing was like, I'm thinking about Jason Sanders range at this point. Like, can he hit a 60 yard field goal right here? Can you take that kick with the potential that he might miss? And then you get the spot of the ball where the hold happens. So now all of a sudden the Patriots have the ball at midfield, but there's 24 seconds. We'll probably lose five or six seconds with a field goal. They don't have any timeout. So they're going to have to get a ball to the sideline or over the middle. Like I'm thinking about all these situations where the outcomes of a decision to kick the ball Never thought they would come back from the break and line up and go for it. And they did, and they hit it. And I thought it was Tua's best throw of the day. A trio of Patriots defenders, Kyle Duggar, you heard his name in the podcast, and he made an impact in this game as well today. But you heard him, we talk about him because you have to ID 23. Here he comes flying downhill, 
And if you miss a tackle on Jalen Waddle or Tyree Kill for that instance, this is what can happen. You catch it, you get out the gate 42 yards, it's a touchdown, it's a game-changing play. I mean, to go from 10 up to 17 up at halftime, getting the football back, what a demoralizing play that must have been for the Patriots to see that happen and take that into the locker room. And by the same token, an absolute lifting thing to this Dolphins team. So I thought the decision to go for it there, the execution of the team to affirm coaches' belief in them, I just thought that was so indicative of what this football team can be when they believe in themselves, the personality of the head coach being so supportive and encouraging and optimistic to rub off on his club. That's the coaches that understand the culture and play to the culture and play to the locker room. And, you know, I talked to some buddies about LSU the other day and and Ed Orgeron and Brian Kelly and, and like the culture fits and stuff. Like, I just seems like this roster really gels well with coach McDaniel and what he brings to the table. So I thought that was a big part and takeaway number two, takeaway number three, we're going back to the defense and not just the coaching staff this time, but the players, because the defensive backfield in general, that's what they do, man. First of all, I saw a few targets on Xavier and Howard. I don't recall any catches. I'll be able to give you the, the actual stats from pro football focus tomorrow on that and the film as well. But the first time they tried him, what happened? <laughs> He pins the receiver to the sideline, gives the quarterback no window to throw to. Ball comes up, and it's at that point, you talk about 50-50 balls for receivers. This thing might be more you know, 60-40 for X because all he does is gets his hand on it and flings it up into the air, and there is his buddy, Javon Holland, you know, who went to the Pro Bowl with him last year as, on a, as a visitor with, with X, right there to pick it off and take it back 33 yards for a big, uh, big run after the catch. And then X didn't really see much action after that. He was... Lo- it's what he does. He locks guys down. You don't hear from him until he makes a big play, and then you, you don't go back to him again. And speaking of Javon, the Patriots' most success came early in this game on the ground in the running game, and I thought there was a few situations where some holes opened up, and Javon's ability to not just make the play, but to come from depth and make hits on guys, you know, 8, 12 yards, which isn't a good play for the defense on balance, but when you take a potential 20-yard gain or maybe all the way to 60 yards and you can nip that in the bud at 8 yards or 12 yards, I'm not saying those plays were going to get out the gate, but Javon was making sure they weren't with his play in this game. Him and X were fantastic. You get the pick. Javon almost had a second pick. But as you'll hear, no, we're, not, we're going to do a different segment. But on the post-game show, we gave the player of the game award to Brandon Jones because 11 total tackles, a sack, a fumble forced, and a pass breakup, and some more good coverage as well, and some plays against the running game. Like, I'm most impressed by his ability and willingness to go stick his face into the fan and be part of the running game. And you talk about, you know, Eric Rowe was not active for this game. So all of a sudden, he's, he's covering tight ends. He's fitting the run. He's rushing the quarterback. Like, he had more roles to fulfill because one of your top defenders wasn't available for you. And he took it to another level, man. He's him and Javon Holland. The numbers don't lie. They're two of the best blitzing safeties in the National Football League. He got it done. Javon Holland got it done. Xavier Howard got it done. Keon Crossan was solid. Also downed the ball late there towards the end of the game. And uh, let's see. I'm going to talk about this here more. Well, let's talk about it now. Uh, you know, Josh Boyer being the first takeaway and his history of finding gems undrafted late round draft picks I mean there was several snaps today where you saw Elijah Campbell and Cater Kohu out there and you talk about McDaniel earlier this week saying we didn't sign the veteran defensive back like you guys keep asking me about because we have confidence in these young guys well 
they proved you're right in this first game. They have can got to keep it going, but Cater Kohu, man, that forced fumble, what a stick that was. The PBU on the on the third down kind of Hail Mary attempt on third and long. This dude was all over the place. He was on special teams making plays. He was big time in camp, big time in the preseason, and he showed up big in this game as well. Mentioned Keon Cross and Elijah Campbell got the call for some of those dime or half dollar packages on third and very long defensive backfield, man, as advertised. And that's bleeds right into our fourth takeaway, the next man up situations. You talk about Byron Jones not being available, having lost Trill Williams back in training camp, and you just find a way to plug these guys in and get production, not just production, but big, big plays from Cater Kohu, Elijah Campbell out there as well. I mentioned Keon Cross, and like, and that's on top of X, Javon, Brandon Jones, like play after play after play being made by all these guys and the depth of this football team showing up. But the whole point of this segment was, how about the offensive line shuffle that had to happen today? <laughs> Liam Eichenberg played left tackle for a couple of snaps. Robert Hunt played right tackle for a couple of snaps. Robert Jones, you know, typically we talked about this on the Thursday or Friday podcast. Ideally, your five offensive linemen play every single snap. That did not come close to happening today. Robert Jones played both guard positions. Greg Little had to come off the bench and play multiple spots as well. So this offensive line, we talked about the cross training and how the the front five guys, not by design by Coach McDaniel, but because they earned it, went pretty much wire to wire from OTAs to opening days, the starting five offensive linemen. Well, now the first time up, you get tested in your depth and your ability to cross train and play multiple spots, and it worked. So that was really cool to see. Uh, just some of these things that some things you cannot possibly know about a first time head coach of, you know, first time kind of regime here with his coaching staff getting put in place and they come out and they execute in those ways and they handle this adversity. I know coach is very excited about the way they did that, even though he was, you know, talking about opportunities to make, you know, more plays and play better, but you know, he has to be happy with their ability to overcome that adversity, which for him, as he always says, are opportunities. Those are takeaways one through four. We're going to finish up with the fifth takeaway, and I have some extra thoughts as well. Then we'll close it out and do the post-game show segment with me, Seth, and OJ. That's next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs. I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. <laughs> hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you ever do that with everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
four takeaways in the bag. Next man up situations. Defensive backfield does its thing. The Waddle touchdown and the identity it helps establish. And Josh Boyer was in his bag. Those are our four takeaways so far. The fifth takeaway, it's not quite as spicy, but just guys that do what you expect of them because they have been that way for so long. I'm talking about Zach Sealer. I tweeted about it last week, third or after the Eagles game, third, and, third or fourth and short. Who do I want out there besides 92? Made another big play today on third and short. Christian Wilkins is an absolute beast. He played like it. I can't wait to watch him on tape. Manuel Ogba had the sack, played the run very well. Thought Raekwon Davis had himself a good game working down the line on a couple of occasions making plays. How about the running backs? Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. This isn't a couple of parts of my notes here, but I'll say it right here. I thought they outperformed their box scores in a big way. It's why you don't scout the friggin' box score. The receptions that Chase had, four for 40. Uh, we'll talk about two here in a second, so I'll, I'll pair that with him later. Uh, and then Raheem Mostert, that 16-yard reception he gets from Tua on that roll and then throwback where he breaks two tackles right around the line of scrimmage and picks up 16 very important yards there. How about Thomas Morstead? Two snaps today, he had to field off the ground. One on a, on a field goal, Sanders' first field goal, and then the punt late in the game, and he scooped, scooped him off the turf and made plays on both of them, including the punt, which I didn't know this today. I learned a new rule. I didn't know that if the punter had to take a snap off the ground, that there was no roughing after that. So he got clobbered on that rush getting in there, and he hits a 41-yard skyrocket that gets downed inside the 10-yard line. Morstead was excellent in this game. Also had a, was a 58-yarder that had like one-yard return with uh, Cater Kohu down there, again, making plays on special teams. Speaking of teams, Jason Sanders, two for two, including 49 yards. And then again, the fact that you're thinking about a potential field goal from 60 yards out at half, before the half, like that tells you about his ability. So, so many guys just showed up and did what you expect them to do, which is play good football. And that's how you get these dubs. So those are the five takeaways. I'm sure I had some omissions, but we'll have some more on the Tuesday film rewatch and we'll turn the page and get ahead to Baltimore here. But a couple more notes before we get out of here. The energy at the stadium, man, was palpable. We talked, you know, we gave a game ball to Jason Jenkins after the fact. I, I know he's watching somewhere. I would have loved to have seen Jason get a chance to see this today because that was absolutely electric. You guys brought the noise. You brought the juice. There was a false start to take it from third and seven to third and 12 at some point in the game. Uh, with our pressure packages, that is such an advantage. So tips, tip of the cap to the Dolphins fans out there bringing the noise. You know, uh, at Ghost of Adam Gase was tweeting like crazy about, you know, how loud it was and how he could feel the building shaking. OJ in the post game, he was in the alumni suite. Me and Seth are in the press box. We don't get to hear it as well. You can still hear it, but Juice is like, oh, yeah, guys, it was, it was rocking out there. So that was cool to see. Uh, I mentioned the running backs box scores. Hey, I'll talk about our quarterback now. Did you think I was going to not talk about Tua's game? Uh, I, I love the ball to Jalen Waddle. I mean, he broke it down post-game, single high coverage, fit that thing in there. That is what the accuracy of Tua does. It puts guys like Jalen Waddle in position to take an eight-yard reception and to take it 42 yards for a touchdown. That placement was perfect between a trio of defenders. He also had a third down completion to Chase Edmonds where the blitz came right off that side. Chase checked in right behind him and he replaced the blitz with the football for a first down. He showed some of the mobility to wheel out of pressure at times to get outside that outside rusher. He faced more pressure than I thought he would in this game. And on that third down in the red zone, you know, the one hitch pressure arrives. That's when the ball's got to come out. Just a little bit too loose with it to, to drop the ball for his one fumble on the day. Luckily, Connor Williams got it back. Um, some misses here and there, but look, like he's been the quarterback 
in all of our four straight wins against the Patriots. No quarterback has ever done that against a Belichick coach team. 23 for 33, 270 yards, and the touchdown, longest of his career, by the way, for an 8.2 average. Like, 8.2 was, he didn't average that last year. And a 104.4 passer rating. My biggest takeaway from Tua and this team was that this team has multiple ways to win. Tua will tell you, McDaniel will tell you, it wasn't his sharpest game. But that might be the sixth takeaway here, that this team has multiple ways to win football games, and you'll see them use them throughout the course of the year, I think. Uh, in general, I thought it was funny we heard Coach say it's a satisfied but kind of a hungry feeling as the team feels like you know, they could have done more in this game. And I think you had chances to put that thing away earlier than you did, even you know driving late there with a chance to make it a 20-point gap. You know, he missed a throw to Trent Sherfield there. By the way, Sherfield, his work in the screen game and what Waddle and Tyreek bring to the screen game, man, things that don't show up in the box score. And I'm certain Trent Sherfield will show, will show him some love on the All-22 episode. But just some to clean some things up, like some coaching points to address, corrections to make, and I have faith that they will. You're supposed to get better. Week one's always crazy. You survived it. You got a victory. Always nice to get better and stack some dubs. We have the All-22 Review podcast coming your way next. That'll be on Tuesday. Stay tuned after the credits from this show, the post-game show here, uh, to hear the post-game show on 560 and 99 Kiss Country with me, Seth, and Juice. That's coming your way next, but I'm going to go ahead and get out of here right now. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice and our weekly Wednesday Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today. There's drive time and fish tank content up there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. My three takeaways will be up on Monday. Bang the website, check the photos, the video gallery, all that fun stuff. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home. Stay tuned. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the fifth quarter postgame show on the Miami Dolphins radio network. I've got Seth Levitt. I've got OJ Juice McDuffie. The fish tank is here. I am Travis Wingfield. Drive time is here. The Dolphins are here, and they are 1-0 after a dominant victory over the New England Patriots. And Juice, that is four straight against the boys from Boston. Yeah, man. It's, um, it's always nice to beat these guys, man. And um, it's, it's funny because you know what happened just getting here. I mean, these guys came in early to try to get acclimated to this weather. And uh, it's tough. It's a tough feel. Tough feel for everybody. Those that actually play here all the time, those that come in on, on visits. And uh, but no matter what, Travis, getting a win within the division on opening day, you can't go two and zero without going one and zero. You know what I mean? Can so, we call it one and a half and zero? Sure, we can do that. <laughs> we can do that, man. So it's like it's perfect, man, that we go out here and get this win like we're supposed to, and we've been doing this over and over again. Now our our biggest problem has been week two, but we're gonna figure that out, man. We've got something going right here, man. It's been special. And just a fun day to come out here and see the team play in pretty much all three phases, solid football, 
solid football is what I'm going to go with. And plenty of room to grow and improve upon that, Absolutely. right, Juice? Because we're going to talk about that as we go along here. And I'm glad you guys mentioned Seth kind of the drop in there talking about the, you know, one and a half worth game worth of a victory here because it's a divisional opponent. And that's what Mike McDaniel said last week, right? He said it's like the three-point contest in the NBA where divisional games are that colored ball at the end of the rack. What a great extra analogy. points. I mean, yeah. he's, he always yeah. does that, right? Yeah. That's, that's what he does. Kawa? But that's kind of Kawa. Coach, his answer was great. That's a drive-time podcast. Awesome. Right that, it's an A at the end, not a G. <laughs> yeah. I, I always get that wrong on my own show. Maybe that's why it's, it's your the, line. Maybe you it's why it's the fish tank post game show here on the uh, on the post game show. Exactly but right. uh, you know, I mean, that was kind of one of the big takeaways today too, guys. Was just coach's aggressiveness and that play to end the first half, the forty two oh, yard touchdown pass, man. fourth and eight to Jalen Waddle. I thought it was Tua's best ball of the day. I thought it was the best call of the day. I thought, it, I mean, obviously was the most impactful play of the day. But ju- uh, Juice and Seth, that was the. Those two words combined there. <laughs> Seth, <laughs> it puts the Dolphins I mean, up 17 zip. a lot of times. <laughs> all the time. Look, combined. all the time. I, I yeah. see that. But Especially seven, when we're running routes. 17 zip going into the break. That almost felt like the kind of deflating moment there for the Patriots in that game. No yeah. pun intended. Well, yeah. To, I mean, the Patriots, didn't they? I don't want to say they invented it, but they certainly made a living off of it for two decades. And yeah. getting that score at the end it's to critical. kind of break your spirit. Critical, right? And then you're getting the ball to start the half. Now, it would be nice if we had gone down and scored, but. We just kept texting each other saying, where is Waddle? How do we get Waddle involved? They get Waddle involved. Give it. Oh, there he goes. He's dancing in the end zone. <laughs> so that was huge. We talked about the stat where people say Tua doesn't have enough 30-plus yard touchdown passes. Well, that was a 42-yarder, so add that one in the record books. And, and you guys hit it. I, you, you hit the nail on the head. They're 1-0. I mean, there's, a, there's room to grow. They left yeah. meat on the bone there. But – you start the season, you can only play one game today, and they won the game. And they won it by two scores. Right. And to me, if you didn't even play your best ball and you beat a division opponent by two scores, and really I think they, they were the better team all day today, I can live with that, and there's room to grow. Could have been a lot more lopsided. But, Juice, I was curious to get your perspective on that play because, I mean, watching the guys come off the field to the tunnel after that touchdown to Jalen Waddle, there was a, a different level of energy. So I was curious to get your perspective on a fourth and eight call. The head coach <laughs> says, hey, I trust you guys. Go out and get it, man. What does that do for the players? Well, I think he was more importantly, he was trusting his defense yeah. just in case it didn't work. You know what I mean? I think that was the key. But I'm going to tell you, man, that play in itself was so spectacular. I'm sitting there with a bunch of guys. Look, I always talk about where I'm at for the game. I'm always in the game with a bunch of alumni. Just because we can't get in there. So <laughs> right, we right, right, know. right. If you didn't know, Brad. folks, Juice was in the alumni <laughs> suit. I, I can get you in every once in a while, man, but it's not every game. You know what I mean? I only got a couple tickets, you know? We'll hang in the press. But box. I'm sitting there, and I've got A.J. Douay behind me. You know what I mean? I'm sitting there next to Jeff Cross, you know? And I also, you know, Anthony Harris and those guys are, like, in my, you know, my vicinity. And Super Duper is back there saying, you know, basically punt it, punt it, punt it. Doop is yelling to punt it. Doop is looking to punt. You know, we're playing well on defense. And me too, I thought the, I thought for a fact that we're going to try to draw them off, maybe get a couple extra yards, and then be in more four-down yeah. territory. Yep. The fact that we snapped it after the break was super impressive, man. And not only that, for a long touchdown to our man Wilder, who we finally got involved in the game, that was that was just that was special, man. That was, we're, I'm not used to seeing that. I don't think any of us are used to seeing that. And that was just outstanding. Uh, the coaches, man, you know what I mean? Think about it. Not many coaches do that. And a lot of guys are saying, 
you know, <laughs> I hate to say it, Shula, we'd be, we be holding it, we'd be punting that. Right. Punt, 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 punt. We talked about that in the press box. Yeah. We were like, okay, where are they going to spot it? Was there a man down? Okay, if he took the set, you know, and, and do you punt it? Do you, do you kick a field goal? And if you miss it, it, there was all that conversation. Right. Then they line up. And they're, I'm like, <laughs> they're going to run this thing. Right. See, they lined up before the, 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 before the, the break right, right thinking there. you're just giving them yeah, the look. Yeah, yeah. And then they came back out with the offense. And I'm like. Okay. Yeah, there was They're no really second thought, was there? Play here. Yeah, and it was, it was a little stuff. bread and butter, wasn't it? A little slant to Jalen Waddle. I mean, we've seen Tua have that to Waddle for years now, yeah. going back to the days of Alabama. Tua finishes 23 for 33, 270 yards, a touchdown pass, a 104.4 rating. I think we all agree, and we'll talk about this later, that it wasn't even his best showing, and you Correct. wind up a lot with, of room with, to grow with there that too. number. And to me, that speaks a little bit to the offensive system, which – you know, you go back over the years with Coach McDaniel. It's one game here. I'm not going to get too over the top with it, but every quarterback this guy has coached has posted really solid numbers, and if you don't play your best, you can still have a day like that, and that seems to be what happened here with, with uh, Tua Tungavailoa. And then you have Tyreek Hill with 8 for 94 juice. I know we're going to talk about him a little bit, but, man, the impact that he had in this game. I thought that he was kind of the engine behind the offense that really, you know, longer drives, and it kind of goes against what you think with, with Tyreek Hill and the vertical stretch element of his game. But, man, he was a big part of that short game, getting things going today. Yeah, we're, ju- we're just getting to learn Tyreek. You know what I mean? And every other team's going to learn him as well. You know, it took a while to get – we talked about it, getting Jalen involved, Jalen Waddle. But Tyreek is a, such a difference maker in the games and such an attention grabber. Everybody wants to, you know, you, you have to pay attention to what he's doing. And so at the beginning, you can tell it was a concerted effort to get him involved. I mean, I don't even know. I, I haven't looked at the final stats. But at one point, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, hate, I hate name dropping all the time. But, but Duke's like, how Hasn't many targets is that? Today. <laughs> how many tar- how, yeah, Duke was, Duke was like, how many targets is that, OJ? One. How many targets is that? I'm like, oh, right, he's at 12 targets right now. He's like, damn, I never got 12 targets. I said, <laughs> Oh, yeah, Mark Clayton on the other side. But, but one thing that Duke did say, though, he said, look, Tyreek is a combination of me and Clayton together. That's dope. You know what I mean? My speed, Clayton's ability to run routes I and get that. in and out of breaks. I was like, man, that's a hell of a compliment, bro. You know what I mean? So he's a guy that's going to, for sure, gonna command and demand a lot of attention and all the other guys get going. Look, Jalen Waddle, you know, he's been hurt. Most of the camp, and then he got his opportunities late. And what did he do? He shined like hell. But Tyreek, man, Tyreek is doing that thing uh, to, to draw a lot of attention. And, of course, you're going to get him targeted. Get him involved early. Get him going early. One thing I knew when I played was get me involved early, and I'll handle the rest later in the game. If you don't get me involved until late, I'm going to be pissed off at the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But I think get that's me involved kind of like early. Get, the yeah. wide receiver prerequisite. Exactly isn't right. It? Yeah. Exactly right. Throw a screen pass or something, so, man. Get yeah, the ball so. in his hands and get him going. How so, cool. So we think we're pretty cool sitting in the press box. Oh, we were in the press box and we were talking to. I mean, that's OJ McDuffie and Mark Duper talking about what's going on in the field. <laughs>